That about says it, right? I think we'll just kind of keep saying the same thing, just in slightly different words. How's that? Um, Would you turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel 37? And looking for Daryl. Do we children's children's worship this morning? There is uh, children uh, six and younger, I guess, up to three, down to three. Uh, you can follow Daryl if you'd like to go to children's worship now. It's a time that's specifically set apart for that age group, and the kids uh, will have that time to learn to worship. And there they go. And the rest of us will read the first six verses of uh, Ezekiel 37. Um, I had great hopes and anticipation as I chose to preach from this uh, several months ago when I was putting together the worship services. I thought we'd be able to get through verse 10, and then I started studying, and I said, that ain't going to happen. So we're going to get through verse 6, and uh, Lord willing, there's a, a good message for us in that. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover your skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, what a great day to gather to worship. As each Lord's Day is a reminder of the resurrection of our Savior Jesus, and yet this one in particular, when that's the entire focus, not just of us, but over this entire world, what a tremendous privilege it is. Lord, thank you. And thank you for giving us your word. And we pray that you would guide us and that you would direct our thinking. And we pray that through this meditation, our love for you will increase and our trust of you will grow. We pray for our children and children's worship, Lord. Bless them with the message. Teach them how they might abandon themselves to you. And Lord, teach us as well. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There are certain concepts that, that we kind of understand-ish, right? One, I think, is power. What is power? Now, some of us think of, you know, the world's strongest man competitions, you know, where all these great big huge guys get together and they grab, you know, kegs of beer and they throw it 30 feet up in the air because that's what power does, Right? That, that may be a part of it, or they run you know, a 100-yard race with a refrigerator on their back, right? These types of, this, is, this is power. We may think of power, um, we think of explosive devices, you know, how many tons of TNT is that? Which, you know, is supposed to be something that's supposed to help us understand how much power it was, like it's 10 tons of TNT. Great. How much is 10 tons of TNT? I have no idea what that is, right? So it's, I'm somehow comparing it with something that I don't know anything about. But I think that's the way it works for me with power, and I think of 
electrical power as I was trying to, trying to understand this and, 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 and doing some research. And I know there's some of you that are going to be able to, to, to could sit here and tell me about electrical power. And I, I, I learned this week that one watt equals one joule per second. And that's just helpful, right, Marlena? It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the rest of us, however, uh, what's a joule and how does it happen for a second? I don't understand, right? What, is, what does that mean? So I looked for another definition. And so there's another understanding of what in which it said that it's the rate at which work is done when one amp of current flows through an electrical potential difference of one volt. Thank you. That cleared up absolutely nothing for me, right? You too? What, what? So I gave up on electrical. It's like, that's for Marley. That's not for me. That's, that's outside of my realm. So let's talk horsepower, right? Men, now we got it. Horsepower. That means one horsepower is like the power of a horse. All of a sudden, it wasn't as helpful. Which horse? <coughs> I've seen different size horses. How do they find the average horse? That this is the basis of my Sorry, Ilya. That we, we try to understand what horsepower is. So I figured it out, though. I figured out that six horsepower is one hour of horses to be able to cut the lawn in my yard. Because I have a six horsepower lawnmower, and it takes me one hour to cut the lawn. Right? So that's, that's my conclusion. And, and so now it's becoming something that I, I understand. So I looked that up and I said, okay, so six uh, horsepower, you know what a horsepower is? 746 watts. <laughs> power. I'm just trying to understand power. What is power? I remember when I was growing up in the, the New Age movement, we were always fascinated with the Shroud of Turin. And uh, the Shroud of Turin was just this really cool kind of thing. And, and I remember being told that, you know, the, the idea is that it's the burial cloth of Jesus and that there's a, a, a face and a body that's burned into the, the shroud. And, and they would always say, because the, the amount of energy that it would take to raise someone from the dead would create so much ra- uh, radiation that it would cause the face to be on that, on that cloth. How'd you test that? Right? How do you know that? How do you know that that's the way power would work somehow? That that I don't know that I've ever heard of someone using a certain amount of power in order to make someone live again. And if we can do that, why don't we do that more? Right? Power. What is power? And then I think about the power of life. And that's just totally different, isn't it? The power of creation. That God the Father created Adam out of the dust. And then he was able to send power through his breath into the man. And he now, now, he's a living being. The power of life. The power of life that was shown in Jesus rising from the dead. That's a different kind of power, right? That's a power that's so completely foreign to anything that we can understand as far as the very essence of what that power is. We don't know. And yet, it's all around us. 
It's in us. Everything about this world screams of that power of life that God has sent out into this creation. This power of life. And I don't understand it, but we need it desperately, right? That's what I want us to consider. There's an element in which, as, as we look at this passage, I, we're, we're going to be kind of going back and forth. We're going to look at it somewhat from the perspective of Ezekiel, but we're also going to be looking at it somewhat as the, from the perspective of the bones. Right? Because that's, that's the, can, can you imagine the conversation that was had by these individuals once they were raised again from the dead? <laughs> right? They, they, that, that created an army that had some stuff to talk about. Right? That they were just dry bones and now they're made to live. I think it's important for us to think about that, that, that there was power that was sent from God into them and it was the power of life. Let's consider how we experience God's power of life. To experience it, we need to first know that God is active in our life. Know that God is active in our life. Look at verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. We have a tendency to forget that God is active in our lives, don't we? We forget that he's involved. We forget what he's doing in our lives and that he's actually there. The old adage that that we're familiar with, out of sight, out of mind, kind of kind of fits, isn't it? We can't see God, so we kind of forget that He's involved. We, we don't realize all that He's doing on our behalf. We also have a, in, in our idea a, a definition of good. We expect God to do good for us, right? But we define good as that which I want, right? And it seems clear that God has a little different definition of good, if he's really involved in my life, but because I'm not always getting good, not always getting what I want, I have a tendency to forget that God is involved in my life. I tend to forget that that which is coming into my life is good because it's coming from the hand of my good God. So I forget about him and I'm not aware and I don't set my mind on the reality that he is active. And sometimes I don't feel like he's there, right? Have you ever experienced that, where you don't feel that God is with you? And we, we face that, and, and I've, I've, I've worked through that many times in my life and, and with other people. And when I don't feel that he's there, I have to ask myself a question. What does a spirit feel like? You may think that's a silly question, but isn't that at the heart of what we're asking? God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body like we have. And I somehow want to be able to feel this spirit that I can't feel. You know how it's, it's so fun in, in Hollywood when they do like ghosts and spirits, you know, that, that the, the, the ghosts can uh, walk through the wall, but they can stand on a floor. Right? They can go right through the wall, but they can pick up a glass. What, how does that work, right? It's inconsistent. The idea of the spirit is we can't sense them. We can't sense God. Now, sometimes he overcomes that, doesn't he? Because he knows our weakness. But mostly we can't sense him. So when I'm talking about feeling him, that's a part of it. The other part is, I feel emotionally 
And my emotions never lead me. I feel based on what I think. And the reality is, I don't think that God is with me, and so therefore it feels like he's not. But if I fill my mind with the reality that I know that God is with me, and I choose to live as though he's with me, maybe then my feelings follow. And I begin to find out that I do feel that he's with me. In all of those different ways, I, I forget that God is active with me. God broke through the barrier with Ezekiel, didn't he? And for us as well. And we see this in, in verse 1. To show Ezekiel and to show us that he is active. He's active in, in two ways that I want us to consider. The first is he empowers you. Look at verse uh, 1 again. The hand of the Lord was upon me. The hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord has many different meanings within Scripture, but one of the, the more prominent is it speaks of his power. And so Ezekiel is saying that there was power that was given to him, that the hand of the Lord was on him. The hand of the Lord was on him in blessing, but the hand of the Lord was on him to empower him. We see this idea when we look at passages like uh, Joshua chapter 4, in which we read about the, the hand of the Lord. Verse 23 for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea when he dried up before us until we had crossed. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you might fear the Lord your God forever. So he's telling us there that the, the great miracles of, of uh, crossing the Red Sea and crossing the Jordan, both of them dry, with God drying up both of those spots, and the nation of Israel passing through, all of that was to show the power of the hand of the Lord, that his hand was powerful. That same hand that powerfully split the waters was upon Ezekiel. That hand of power that he would need to fulfill the call that was about to be given to him. We see it also in 1 Kings chapter 18. You remember the, the events of, of 1 Kings and uh, Elijah and, and his battle with the uh, prophets of Baal. When verse 45 and 46, we read this, In a little while the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. So Ahab is leaving Elijah, and he's on horseback or in chariot, so he's riding. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. We see that idea of power, that the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah to accomplish what God was calling on him to do, that he was empowered to be able to run faster than the horses to get there, even before the chariots of the king. It speaks of power. It speaks of power that was upon Ezekiel. And I believe it speaks of a power that is upon you and I. We read about this a little bit in Colossians chapter 1, beginning of verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, 
for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Paul prayed for the Colossians that they would be strengthened with power. That prayer is also a prayer for you to be strengthened with power. For the hand of the Lord to be upon you, empowering you for what you face in your life. And for the Colossians in particular, the power was there to provide for them steadfastness and patience. Oh, I want power to do huge things, right? That's what I want power to do. I want, I want power to just, to just go forward and, and crush the enemy. He wants me to have power to stand firm and to be patient. And I don't know if anyone's like me, but that maybe takes a little more power. I remember one time I said to my family, I said, you know, I just, I just realized that I don't like waiting. And they all burst into laughter. And I, I think it was maybe Michael who said, is that an epiphany? <laughs> really? You're just now figuring this out? It's like, well, okay, so I'm not really self-aware. But uh, I need power to be patient, to stand firm, to wait where God has placed me, to endure the circumstances that I'm facing in my life. We need power. We need the hand of God to be upon us. And He is actively with you, providing that power, and it's an invisible power. John Bunyan writes about it in Pilgrim's Progress as Christian is in um, Interpreter's House, and he tells us of this scene. Then I saw in my dream that the interpreter took Christian by the hand and led him into a place where was a fire burning against a wall, and one standing by it always, casting much water upon it to quench it. Yet did the fire burn higher and hotter. Then said Christian, what means this? The interpreter answered, this fire is the work of grace that is wrought in the heart. He that casts water upon it to extinguish and put it out is the devil. But in that thou seest the fire notwithstanding burn higher and hotter, thou shalt also see the reason of that. So he had him about to the backside of the wall where he saw a man with a vessel of oil in his hand and of, that, of the which he did also continually cast but secretly into the fire. Then said Christian, what means this? The interpreter answered, this is Christ who continually with the oil of his grace maintains the work already begun in the heart by the means of which notwithstanding what the devil can do, the souls of his people prove gracious still. And in that you saw that the man stood behind the wall to maintain the fire. This is to teach you that it is hard for the tempted to see how this work of grace is maintained in the soul. This book is written by a pastor trying to, to counsel his flock even while he's in jail, trying to help them understand what's going on in their lives so that they would see that the devil is there constantly trying in your life to extinguish the work of grace that God has begun in your life. Always trying to put it out. But don't lose heart. Be steadfast and patient because Christ is pouring oil onto the fire that it might continue to burn. And you might not understand why, but it's always there. He's always at work. He is always empowering you for what He has called you to do. He empowers you 
regardless of what you face. But not only does He empower you, He also directs you. We go back to Ezekiel 37, verse 1. And the hand of the Lord was upon me, and He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord. By the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit physically brought Ezekiel into the valley. Physically took him to that place. Not unlike when the Spirit physically led Jesus out into the wilderness, remember? It was the Spirit who took him there. It was the Spirit who led him there. The Spirit was guiding. The Spirit was directing. The Spirit guides and directs you and I as well. Think about why you're here. And I'm not, not, not from an existential uh, uh, perspective of you know, uh, the, the things that you might think about sitting by a, a, an ocean or something, but kind of why you're here right now. Why are you here today? I think about that sometimes uh, as we think about our call here to Pennsylvania. Um, I've told some of you that when we first thought about coming, you know, we had, we had served in places like uh, Colorado, you know, and Arizona, and Florida, and Wyoming, and then Pennsylvania? I, I wasn't even sure I'd ever been in Pennsylvania, at least just kind of driving through. What's, why would we go to Pennsylvania? And then we showed up and went, holy cow, this is a gorgeous state. We, we began to see something different. But why would we end up in Pennsylvania? And God was working hard to get us here. I can tell that story at another time. But even in, in thinking about what took place in the pulpit committee and in their search, and at first, not really moving forward with me, probably by my own fault, but, but uh, then later seeing, oh, this, this looks like maybe it's a match, and it seems to have stuck pretty well. We're at, we're at ten and a half years now, so, so far it's going well. But why? And God took us on a path and prepared us that we might be what this church needed at that time. But God also took this church on a path and prepared the church that we might come together to be able to accomplish what God wanted at this time and at this place, right? And each one of us, there's a different path that each of us has taken to the seat you're in today. Why has he done that? To recognize that His hand, His Spirit has led you. His Spirit has been involved in your life. He has brought you down what seems like a circuitous path and yet in God's economy has been a straight line to precisely what He wanted to bring you to this place at this time. Because I believe that God wants you to intersect with certain people here this day that God wants to somehow through you give life to another. I don't know how. It might be simply by your being here. It might be the smile. It might be the contemplation in your eyes. It might be the emotion that you express as you praise Jesus Christ for the resurrection. I don't know. But I'm convinced of this very thing, that He has brought you here by the Spirit of God. And He isn't an accidental God. He's a God of purpose who is seeking to give to each of us that gift of His life. And He does that through ourselves. 
Know that God is active in your life. And know, believe that God is able. He's able. I'm going to talk about this idea of able for for a moment or two. And to do that, I want to begin by looking at the concept of dynamic. Dynamic. We we use that word um, to think about what it means. Dynamic is a force that stimulates change or progress within a system or process. Okay, Let's walk through it again. It's a force that stimulates change or progress within a system or process. Okay? Okay? It's the force that's, that's bringing about a change. I get that. Okay? That makes sense. I'm beginning to understand that. Well, I say that because... The root word, or the, the, the Greek word from which dynamic comes, is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis is, is the word, it's often translated as power or of strength. And it, it, it is the, basically the transliteration of that word is how we get the word dynamic. And dunamis means to be able. At its central meaning, dunamis is to be able. It's important to think about that for a moment. What does it mean to be able? And how does that relate to power and strength? To be that which makes me able to do something, to bring about a change. Ephesians 3.20. We see this... Uh, this word used in one of my favorite uh, doxologies slash benediction. Now to him who is able, dunamis, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Not just does he do that, but he is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. That's the dunamis of God. His ability. He's able. And you are able in many different ways. And for us to see that our our ableness is a testimony to God's presence and activity in our lives. It's a, pre- it's a testimony that He is able, that He has power, and He has given that to us. How does that affect us that He is able? I think, first of all, it allows us then to assess our situation. Verse 2. I'm going to look a little bit at, at, at verse 1, because verse 1 ends with the, the phrase that He set me down in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. And then verse 2. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. Ezekiel assesses his situation, and what he finds out is, first of all, there's a bunch of bones, right? That's the starting point. Not just that there were bones, but there were lots of bones. This is his assessment. This is where he recognizes where he is. He's in a place with lots of bones. And oh, by the way, they're not fresh bones, right? 
These are dry bones. So they've been there a while. They've been seasoned by the sun. They're there and they are dry. And he's looking at these bones. Now this is important when we begin to think about what God's going to tell him to do in a minute. Honestly, as we think, wouldn't it be easier for God to raise fresh bones? Right? I mean, uh, someone who's been dead an hour, he raises him. Yeah, okay, that's easier than, than like three days or four days. But now we're talking about bones that are so old and so dead that they're dry. And there's a lot of them. And as he's reflecting on this, and as he's looking at this, he also recognizes um, that God asks him a question. And he says, can these bones live? Now, I love his response. And for those of you who teach the, the, the Bible at different times and teach a class, his response is classic, right? When you're asked a question by the class, what's the first thing you need to do? Ask it right back at him, Right? Maybe from some Socratic method that you're trying to do that. Primarily, it's so that you have time to think, right? So that's, that's, what, you, that's what you're doing, is you're just giving it right back. And, oh, well, what do you think about that? I have no idea what's going on. What am I going to... Thank you. Oh, that's a great answer. And then you can move on, right? Because now you've thought about it. But, but uh, to be able to do that, well, he does that with God. Can these bones live? Well, Lord, what do you think? Right? Not bad when you're doing it with God, because then he begins to show you. But there's the other side is the amazing thought. I have no idea in all of my experience and everything that I've ever seen in my life and all that I know of myself, I would say, no. But God Almighty, who is the God of life, has just asked me this question, so I have to go back and I have to say, Lord, you know. So I begin to ask him, thinking about, will the, can these bones live? What would it have been like for Ezekiel in that moment? Can you imagine can you imagine that you've been carried to this valley and you're set down and you're stepping on bones? The whole valley's full of them. You look at them, they're super dry. All kinds of them. And then God says to you, can they live? I think that would be my response. Literally. How, how can I know? I, I don't understand. I have no idea what's going on here. And this is what Ezekiel is facing in that moment. He's perplexed. He's uncertain. He has, he has no idea. But he records to us an honest assessment of what he's facing. Assess your situation. What are you facing in your life? We know what many in our congregation are facing. We take time each Sunday and we have them listed in our bulletin as we pray for different individuals. We get prayer requests that come out and frequently, some of the requests that we have are, are individuals facing um, health issues. And it's, and it's hard, and some of them are very, very serious. And we have a, a dear friend that I've shared with you in the past is, is uh, dealing with uh, uh, brain cancer. And he had to, to face the realities. He was talking to his, his doctor, and he was asking, well, could I get, could I get my uh, uh, prostate numbers checked to be sure that I don't have prostate cancer? And his doctor said... Um, you don't seem to understand. You don't need to worry about that. Can you imagine what that would be like to hear that and to face that in, in your life and to know that, that this is my future. I will be going to see Jesus sooner than I had ever expected. And that's the reality. But yet that's a hard path to go, isn't it? Those are some dry bones you're standing on. Some of you may be facing things like that. 
facing health issues and uncertainty. You may be facing financial hardships and difficulties and you just don't know how there's ever going to be a solution to these finances that you're, you're dealing with. Some of you are dealing with broken relationships and you don't know how that'll ever be healed. What can happen? And it's as though God says, can these relationships be healed? Oh, Lord God, you know. I don't know. They're just lots of very dry bones that I'm standing on. And you notice he said, very dry? Very dry. It's one of the first Hebrew words I ever learned, me'od. Me'od. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Do you know the word strength there? Is me'od. Means much, very, much dry, strongly dry bones. We'd probably say really, really dry bones to capture that meaning. It feels overwhelming at times, doesn't it? Assess your situation and then look to God. Look to God. Look what he says. He's asked, can these bones live? And he says, oh, Lord. He starts with that. Oh, Lord. The word Lord is the, the you notice it's, it's not all caps. Uh, it's lowercase. So that tells us that it's the, the Hebrew word Adonai, which means the sovereign one. The one who's in control of absolutely everything. That's where he starts. He looks to God. Can these bones live? Oh, Lord. Adonai, you are the sovereign one. You are the one who declares the end from the beginning. You have determined everything that is to be. You are the one who rules over all of the universe. That's who he looks to. To the sovereign one. And he begins by looking there. And he says, O Lord God. God. I'm convinced Ezekiel was a good Presbyterian, so he knew the Westminster Shorter Catechism question number four. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's who he speaks to, to God, the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable one. He says, that's the one that I look to. O Lord, sovereign one, who is God Almighty. His attention in the midst of assessing his situation and seeing the very dry bones is to turn instead and look to God, who is the Lord, who is God, who knows. You know. I kind of joke about this, but it's kind of not a joke. It's kind of real. That there are times in which I cry out to God, and I say, God, this is so hard. And I feel like all he says to me is, I know. And I say, Lord, I feel so weak. He says, I know. I say, Lord, I don't see any way that this is going to work out. He says, I know. And then I begin to listen. And I begin to realize that, oh no, he was actually answering my cry. Lord, this is hard. He says, I know. 
I'm so weak. He says, I know. I have no idea. But I know. Ezekiel uses the same idea. Oh Lord God, You know. And that's all I need to know. I can rest in that reality because You are able. Know that God is active in your life. Know that He is able. And then friends, believe. Believe. Imagine Ezekiel's position. He's standing on top of these very dry bones and he's commanded to tell them to live. How could he ever say that? Imagine Peter and James. They're outside the temple. And man asks them for money. Can you imagine what it took for Peter to say, stand up and walk to the lame man? Can you even imagine having the courage and the faith to be able to say to someone who is lame, stand up and walk? Can you imagine Paul after preaching, some would say maybe he preached a little bit too long because Eutychus fell asleep and fell out the window and died. Can you imagine him going down and saying, rise? A human being to say to another one who has died, live. What did it take for Ezekiel to say to the bones, live? What did it take for the bones? Faith is inseparable from obedience. God took Ezekiel to that point in which he brought obedience and faith completely united when he says, say to these very dry bones, live. To be silent... To disobey is an expression of no faith, right? To say live is obedience and it is faith. Faith and obedience are inseparably linked. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, only he who believes is obedient and only he who is obedient believes. Obedience and faith are inseparably linked together. And God brings Ezekiel to that place. And He invites us to the same place, to believe. How do I believe? First, I need to listen to God's Word. Ezekiel, listen to what God said to him. God said to him, prophesy. That is, God said to him, I want you to be my representative and speak my words in my name to these bones. The bones heard the Word of God and they still needed the breath of God to come into them that they might indeed live. But both began by listening to the Word of God. Do you ever read the Bible and not hear God? Do you ever listen to a sermon and not hear God's message in the midst of that sermon? We do. We need to guard ourselves against that. And to be certain that when we're opening the Bible, we're opening it that we might hear the voice of God that we might hear what he says, because that's essential. If I'm ever going to believe, I must hear his words spoken to me. 
and his word that he speaks to me, one of them is, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I need to hear that word to come to him. Then I need to speak his word. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. We need to speak his word. We need to declare who he is. Sometimes it's uncomfortable talking to our friends about Jesus, isn't it? Sometimes it's uncomfortable inviting people to, to Jesus or inviting friends to church, right? It can feel awkward. It can feel weird. It can feel kind of self-serving. And we get all those things that are mixed up there that I think are just primarily the whisperings of the devil that we would not do that. Can you imagine the, the story that's been told of, a, of an individual who lived in a neighborhood for years, was close friend with his neighbors, and he went to church every Sunday. And then one Sunday, one of his neighbors showed up at church and they looked at each other, and the, the neighbor who was visiting was shocked. And they got together, and the neighbor who was visiting said, I thought we were friends. So of course we're friends. He said, then why have you never invited me to your church? Yeah, because friends do that, don't they? I mean, I, just this last week, I had several people uh, invite me to, to go to a particular restaurant that they thought was great, right? well, shouldn't I be as excited about my church that, you know, I'd like you to come and, and enjoy this meal that we have together and the meal of, of our fellowship and of our camaraderie and, and the preaching of the word and, and, and to begin to do that. But to get past that uncomfortableness and to invite people, but even more than inviting them to come to church, let's invite them to come to Jesus because he's, he's the living God. Have, has anybody mentioned to you today that he's risen? Thank you, Leah. <laughs> he is risen indeed. And that's a reality. And that's a great hope that we have and to share that with the people around us. To tell the world, Jesus is alive. Amen? Easter is all about God's power of life, isn't it? I mean, we talk about resurrection and, we, and, and people will throw that out. Oh yeah, the, even you read it in, in the secular press, talk about, yes, Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus. Christians believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you stopped and thought about what that means? There's, there's a power there that, that, that is completely foreign to anything we experience in our lives. We don't understand the kind of power that says to a dead man, be alive. The kind of power in which the dead man can determine by himself to live. Easter's all about God's power of life. And it's more than simply an intellectual understanding. It's something that changes our life. We need God's power of, in our life. Power of life in our life. So therefore we need to know that he's active in our life. He brought us here. He's empowered us. We need to believe that he's able he has that ability in himself, whatever we're facing. And then we need to believe. I'd be remiss if I didn't point out what we need to believe first and foremost. Because there may be some here today who have never yet put their trust in Jesus Christ. Our children grow up in our homes and they hear the message. But we need to also invite them to believe the message. This is Easter Sunday. 
We believe that Jesus died for our sins. That's what Good Friday was all about. That He was on the cross paying the penalty that we owed. And each of us owed it. So we need to believe that we have sinned and that we deserve God's wrath. We need to believe that that debt is paid in full by Jesus and nothing else, nothing I do can help that. Then we need to ask Him, Lord, will You forgive me for my sins? Will You do that this day? If you have never prayed that prayer, pray that today, that on this Easter Resurrection Sunday morning, you may experience the new life which Jesus provides. Let's pray. Father, search each of our hearts. Each one of us confesses, Lord, that we have sinned against you. We're guilty. Will you forgive us because of Jesus? Father, will you grant that each one of us may live the new life which you have given to us through your Son and through us would you show the world that Jesus is alive? We ask this in his name. Amen.